0: Welcome to another of the Short Cood Street podcasts that Jonathan Straw and I have been doing since March, and then we'll continue doing until we're stopped. This is Gary Wolf, and today I am delighted to talk to uh, Maureen McHugh, whose classic novel, China Mountain Zhang, has just been reissued in a beautiful new edition uh, from Tor in a series called Tor Essentials, which we should all know about. How are you today, Maureen? Oh, I'm great, Gary. It's so good to hear a voice. Okay. You're uh, sort of in California where it's probably, well, you're not in the part of California that's being threatened with fires right now, though, are you?
1: No, I live in uh, Los Angeles County. I live on the west side of LA, which is, um, climate-wise, a really wonderful place to live. Uh, Pandemic-wise, a so-so place to
0: live. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But the question that comes up in every one of these, and which is what we focus on, is Given the odd circumstances of the last several months now, and probably for the future, do you find yourself able to do any reading and concentrating, and if so, what?
1: I have to say that when it first started, I couldn't do anything. Uh Uh, I had to teach. I'm teaching online at University of Southern California, and I met my classes, and it was about twice as much work as it was for an in-person class, partly because of the transition. And then I would do nothing nothing, nothing, nothing. And then um, sometime in about mid-June, I suddenly, I haven't read a lot in the last couple of years. I just had the attention span of a hyperactive uh, nine-year-old, but all of a sudden I could read again. And then I was up until two o'clock in the morning reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. And And that was really pleasant. And then I've been meeting people at one o'clock every day on Zoom, five days a week, to do a work session. We talk a little bit, then we work for 25 minutes. We talk for five minutes, then we work for five, 25 minutes. And I've gotten
0: a ton done. I, that, so it's kind of like uh, going to a, a, one of these office, shared space office things, except it's all virtual. Exactly. So you, know, means- you know, everybody else is working, so you feel guilty if you don't work. So actually you're... That sounds fascinating. You're, you're you're online with a bunch of other people on a Zoom, and you're all kind of working on your own things and not talking? Correct. And one person is the timer.
1: So we yeah. talk. We, we get on at 1, and at one o five we work for 25 minutes. And then somebody will say, okay, time, or play, you know, this uh, 2001 Space Odyssey theme, or whatever it is they do to say uh-huh. time's up. And then we talk about what we've done, we start to chatter, and then somebody says, oh, five minutes, and then we go and work some more.
0: Who thought of this? I've never heard of it before.
1: I thought of the writing uh-huh. together thing for a bunch of people in a writing group. I'm in a local writing group. Yeah. And then one of the other people said, well, why don't we do sprints? Why don't we do timed and if you can find uh, the problem with Zoom is I have it through the university, so mm-hmm. I my Zoom account doesn't cut out in forty minutes. If you but you can download Zoom for free and it cuts out every forty minutes, you just restart. Uh huh. Or you use Skype or, or Google, Google Hangouts Word. or whatever. Yeah, it's been really wonderful for me. I've been working on um, a novel for at least five years, and. The problem is when I teach; it's very hard for me to write. Yeah. Uh, so, but this business of sitting down and writing every day—I was pretty far through it, but I finished the last five chapters, and I now have a complete draft of a novel. It's out for reading. Um, I have a couple publishers already interested, so I may have a novel next year.
0: Great. Is this the first one since Necropolis? It is the first one since two thousand and one. Wow. Well, you're not okay. So you're not the most prolific novelist in the world. But <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I took a side hustle in
0: Hollywood, mm-hmm.
1: not writing television, not writing movies, doing um, a weird form of interactive media called ARGs, and it was trying to establish a new art form on the internet, and it was really exciting. And that's where I wrote my stories and the occasional short story. But now I want to go back to novels.
0: I know how to write novels. Well, um, do you want to get back for a second to what you're reading? When you're writing, do you try to avoid reading uh, other science fiction and fantasy? Do you read, like a lot of people when they're writing, read only nonfiction, I've heard?
1: There have been times in my life I did that. Uh, This time, I was just so excited to be able to read. One of the things I was reading, and I think I could do this because I was almost done with the novel and had been working on it for so long. My novel takes place in the 13th century, and I was reading Hilary Mantel's last book of the Thomas Cromwell books, um, The Mirror mm-hmm. and the Light. Mm-hmm. But if you're deeply immersed in research, and I'm a, I, I, research is a way you can pretend you're writing when you're not, so I love it. Uh, And I have access to every interlibrary connection through uh, a world-class library. So if I wanted to know what medieval horse veterinary practices were, I could go see if anybody would written a paper on it. And somebody probably has. A little bit, yeah. I could find a little bit. Um, A lot of spell work, Christian prayer spell work. But... um, I, 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 the the time of the Tudors is so different that I could read it and admire what she did and not feel like it was missing from my book. Also, mm. she's an extraordinary writer, and I, the Wolf Hall, is one of my
0: favorite books of all time. Of all these conversations I've been having with people, uh, that probably I'm going to say Hillary Mantel's name may have come up more often than anybody else's. Uh, and I think part of it is because it's, uh, I, I've not read any of them, but everybody tells me that uh, uh, they're so completely immersive that uh, it's its a kind of world building, which isn't world building because it's world researching. It sounds completely authentic. Uh, and as you say, everything in it, I suppose, could be footnoted. Um, but Well, are- it's
1: really interesting because uh, it feels that way entirely. And there's no question, she did a lot of, Primary source research, yeah. um, but also there was a couple of things where I hit and I thought that's not true. They're very minor, but uh-huh. it was so freeing for me as a writer to know that even Hilary Mantel was writing <laughs> fiction. And then the other thing I read just devoured was the Murderbot series. Uh huh. I have a bone to pick with Martha. <laughs> the next one isn't out until 2021 in the spring, and I need it now.
0: That's a compliment that rarely gets made these days. For <laughs> uh, it's a you're standing on the on 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 the uh, shores of, of 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 Boston, waiting for the next installment of the old Curiosity Shop. Is
1: Little Dora okay? Yes, oh, yes. I
0: exactly. Yeah, it exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. There I would be I, – I have a person who has fought a kind of mild insomnia my whole life. And the mm. pandemic has basically said to me, okay, if you go to sleep between 12 and 2 a.m. and get up at 9, the world does not care. So there I'd be at 1 o'clock in the morning reading about Murderbot, who is just so
0: fun. It's, it's, it's uh, another one of the names which comes up quite a bit, just because they are just uh – genuinely enjoyable. And I guess one of the things that, um, is, is interesting to me about science fiction, uh, and fantasy these days is that, uh, it's, it's got a very healthy attitude on the one hand of being, uh, grim and serious and, um, and, and I guess thoughtful in a, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson kind of way. And on the other hand, it's unapologetically writing. A lot of people are unapologetically Un- unapologetically writing entertainments that are just enormous amounts of fun. Agreed. And um, the thing about the Murderbot
1: series is the Murderbot series, if you look at it, is pretty critical of everything from gender norms mm-hmm. to um, policing. Yeah. But it's all told through this cranky, quirky sexual cyborg murder, who calls themselves Murderbot bot mm-hmm. uh, for reasons that are in the story, who is just such a compelling personality.
0: And that's one of the things I think that, uh, that appeals to a lot of readers about, um, I don't I don't I don't want to make Murderbot sound like it do, doesn't deal with serious issues. But the voice is is a controlling kind of thing. His voice. Now that's something that uh, seems to be important to you as a writer going back to I think classics like China Mountain Zhang. Uh and getting the voice right of a character in a bizarrely different world from ours must be a challenge.
1: It is. It is. It's been um that I I agree with you. The whole thing about Murderbot is Uh, If you want people to like a character, people always say, you know, make them do something good. The cliche is save the cat. But the actual truth is characters can do lots of good things and I still hate them. The Mm. thing that makes a character compelling is vulnerability. And the fun thing about Murderbot is Murderbot is actually a security guard, like a mall security guard, Mm. bot, only lethal. And it's it's not tremendously physically vulnerable, but it is so emotionally vulnerable, so overwhelmed. Uh, some of it, uh, the characteristics of Murderbot feel like uh, you could describe Murderbot as somewhere on the autism spectrum. Uh, that may or may not be true. But like when Murderbot gets emotionally overwhelmed, it stands up and they look at the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't handle people talking around them. It, 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 and you just think, oh, baby, I want to protect you. And that makes for a character that people tend to really like.
0: Which is a challenge also because you're, you're feeding compassion for an AI, basically. Uh, when we have a whole tradition in science fiction of AIs being Terminators and Skynet and that sort of thing.
1: But also data. Well, also data. Right. The other not, the other delightful thing about Murderbot is that Murderbot has no interest in being human.
0: Right. Uh, which I think is a relief because of the uh, kind of, again, the mythology. It, it works against the mythology of uh, classic science fiction in that sense. Which
1: Honestly, I'm not sure right now I want to be human. <laughs> Good point. Well, yeah.
0: that's a, well, one other question that we ask in these short things. Uh, speaking of stressed out, which we all are right now, uh, do you ever uh, find yourself recommending de-stressing books, things that are returning to comfort, things that might be either something you've always wanted to do. Is it finally time to read the fairy queen or let's just read some more Agatha Christie?
1: Um, well, I will say I, I used to be an intense reader. somewhere in my thirties or forties. Mm-hmm. I shifted away from that. Um, and now I'm very much a novelty reader. Um, but I, um, find myself looking for novel versions of comfort food. Uh, the other series I read was Rivers of London, uh, which is... Uh, Aronovich? Yes, it's a mystery with supernatural elements where there's a guy and he's a cop. And, you know, that's so problematic. We, the way we portray cops is really an issue. But he's, you know, fighting ghosts and... Right. In London, as part of the police force, any bitches about bureaucracy. And <laughs> they are, again, I'd never read them, but it wasn't like I read anything in them and was like, oh, wow, never!" it's not hard. And that's an amazing skill to have, to be different enough to keep me engaged, uh-huh. but familiar enough that I don't feel sort of like I'm studying for the test. I will say, uh, reading Hilary Mantel, there are times where I really... The way she uses pronouns is counterintuitive sometimes to me, and I like it, but it, it's a lot more work. But reading Rivers of London is like, ah, you know, if I miss a sentence in here because somebody talks, uh-huh. it's Okay.
0: I can see. I, I understand exactly what you mean. You want. You want. You want to read things that you can plow through, even if you zone out for a paragraph or so. You're still with the story. Exactly. And I've done. A and they're. Proce- that's what procedurals are really good at. Yeah. You know, by the way, Paul Cornell had a series. I think he stopped it now of supernatural police work in in, in contemporary London. That was very very much a similar kind of thing. You know, having to do. Um, I don't know, dispatching some kind of supernatural monster, and then having to do the paperwork on it. <laughs> it's the kind of thing I remember back uh, in the 60s when Lynn Dayton started writing his version of James Bond novels, and his poor guy was always doing paperwork and having to uh, go through training exercises. I thought, that's probably what spies' lives are like, and it deglamorized the whole thing for me, even though they were good spy novels.
1: Uh, my favorite spy novels are Le Carre, oh. which is all about dealing with right administration and changing politics from the top. And do you, do, who's keeping the logbook? And mm-hmm. yeah, do I, have, I. Do you have a favorite Le Carre? Uh, I think his very best book is The Perfect Spy. Uh, well, everybody says that. Everybody. Uh, I. I think that's the book. I, I'm a, my favorites are the four smiley books, mm-hmm. but I think his best book, the book that blew me out of the water. And you know, the difference between favorite and good is the difference between ice cream and um, a high end patisserie. <laughs> um, sometimes I just want ice cream. Um, yeah. I can admire the incredible skill and. The Perfect Spy is, I think, the book he spent years getting to the point where he was able both technically and emotionally to write
0: because it's really about his father, right. even I- though it's not about his father at all. Well, we've run out of time. Actually, we've run over our time, but I knew we would. We've been. <laughs> it's almost so good to talk to you, Gary. I know. Well, it is. Let's, let's, let's see, secretly – the listeners don't know this, but we're going to chat some afterwards and, and, and all the secret stuff. Yeah.
1: Yes, we're going to do We're going to exchange the new secret handshake and password.
0: Absolutely. Well, once again, this has been the Coot Street Podcast. 10 minutes. Well, okay. 16 minutes with Maureen McHugh. And thank you so much, Maureen. Thanks, Gary.